0: Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 6th of February. I'm Robert Barwick, and my guest today is Citizens Party National Management Committee member Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, big news. The government has flinched. Keep fighting the cash ban enslavement to banks. And why won't the media report the human rights crimes against Julian Assange? But Jeremy, big news. This is worth celebrating. Now, now we haven't won yet, but we're well on the way. So headline, the government has flinched. Keep fighting the cash ban enslavement to banks. And the breaking news that's literally just emerged is because it's th- we were actually recording a day earlier on Thursday that um, the Senate is sitting, and a couple of hours ago in the Senate the government moved to postpone the Senate committee report on the cash ban until the twenty eighth of February. It was due <laughs> it was due tomorrow, the fr- Friday the seventh. Right. Yes.
1: That's incredible. This is the law that was meant to be in place on the first of January this year. In place on the first of January, <laughs> and and all of our campaign is working. Uh, you can guarantee
0: that. Well, uh, well uh, it's very significant what you just said because apparently um, government senators want more information and more and look at, more time to look at the evidence hmm. for a law that was supposed to be in place on the first of January. Right now, this is bizarre. That that that. Um, uh, by their own behaviour, they're showing how ridiculous it was that this law was even considered to start on the 1st of January, but we're only at this point because of what you just said, mm-hmm. right? It's it's the viewer, the people who have responded to mm-hmm. this campaign and actually done something, mm-hmm. made a phone call, sent an email, made a submission, and probably multiple ones, appreciate mm-hmm. that, that's, and, and not stopped. That's what's taken this bill from being something that they would have easily ran through in September with hardly anyone knowing about it, mm. to now um, the government has had to uh, is in disarray and they're they're wondering what the hell they're going to do, right? Mm. Trying to save face, etc. The um, and I'll give more details on that in a minute, but they've they've actually thought well the the um, the better part of discretion uh, is get, getting out of the hell out of here and let's postpone this for three weeks, mm. right? Okay. Here's what we think we know, though. And unfortunately, we know some of what I'm going to tell you is, is definite. Some is is speculation, but it's good speculation. Um, but it comes from the fact that, you know, the government's trying to keep its cards, cards close to its chest here. But Jeremy's right. The flood of calls has worked. And at the start of this week, I'm, I'm, I, lo- I was laughing at myself earlier because you remember we had a meeting here in our office when we were talking about this week was do or die, right? It was like the mm. last minute... Of, a, of, a, of an AFL grand final, scores a level, and and it can go any way, right? And so we said, okay, this week we do nothing but call Labor senators. That's the target. Mm. Threw in a few greens and Jackie Lambie in there, but, but essentially it was Labor. Labor had the power to stop this. And I said to the room, I said, understand that nothing is set in stone, mm. right? Because there'll be so much going on behind the scenes um, we won't be able to know what's going on, but you know something will be going on thanks to the heat we're applying. But then I made this mistake. I said, nothing's set in stone except the reporting date. <laughs> and, and as it happened, that's not even set in stone. So we don't, So they've, they've put off the reporting date. Well, um, some of these
1: Labor senators, they, they really had no idea until they got flooded with calls. Exactly. They didn't know any details about the bill at all. And then now, quite a lot of them, we know we're getting feedback that they're saying, "Oh, well, actually, that is a bad law."
0: Oh, that's in yeah. there. <laughs> oh, that's that's no good, yeah. right? So, no, no, And this is this comes from you know you think, okay, I'll give the, the viewer, the, the people that we're always you know hectoring to become activists, mm. the, the benefit of the doubt in the sense that yeah, government's not supposed to work this way. They're mm. they're supposed to be professionals who do a proper job and examine all the laws, and but it doesn't work. That's not how mm. it works, right? Um, it, you, it it's a broken system right democracy has been rigged behind the scenes and we'll, we'll talk about that more at the end about in the case of Julian Assange um, your efforts though see what, what's been broken really is is the is the, um, uh, the the influence that the democratic motives i.e what the people want can have on the on the system of power the parliament right because mm. Big money and and, and and the banking system et cetera is so powerful they can buy that off. But if the people just accept that and get cynical and go, I oh, see we can't. It's all rigged. We can't do anything. Mm-hmm. By def- and by default, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's never challenged. But when you do challenge it, mm. right, you start breaking down those structures. They, suddenly, members of parliament, when they when their call phones ringing off the hook, they realize we better start listening to what those people. Who at the end of the day, yeah, this this crowd here gives us lots of money, but they don't. That money is not votes. This is the crowd that votes for us, right? Mm-hmm. We better listen to what they say. Um, so we know that from my feedback, I've got I've got some good contacts that that give me good feedback. The government really is in disarray. There's actually senior Liberal MPs are uh, actively lobbying the ministers to drop this legislation, right? Mm. Um, not to mention the grassroots Liberal supporters oh, that 90-something percent
1: don't even want it themselves.
0: Well, when they took that vote in yeah. November yeah. in the Victorian State Council mm. of the Liberal Party, and mm. it was 95 percent plus against it, mm. that's the sort of thing that got the attention of these senior Liberal politicians. Mm. Right? So there, there's, there's actually lobbying at the senior levels going on against this bill. This bill is being called, get this, an orphan. Mm. Nobody wants to own it. Right? And Aaron Patrick alluded to that last week in his disgusting article in the Financial Review, but he said the Minister, Michael Sukkar, has shown no enthusiasm for this bill. Right? So this really is a KPMG Treasury scam and, and the politicians are starting to think, we don't want to touch this, you know? In America, Jeremy, they have this thing called the third rail of politics, which is Social Security. You take Social Security away from the public, you touch that, you die. Right? <laughs> the third rail, like in the train system. This is, they're starting to start to think about those, in those terms about this bill. Okay. Also, the news we got today, though, was the Greens had a party room meeting and voted to oppose it. Now, we we expected the Greens to oppose it, but it was a little bit up in the air. That's now done, right? So they're they're clear on their opposition. Um, We already know that Pauline Hanson's One Nation, Centre Alliance and Jackie Lambie are now all saying they're going to oppose it. So it does come down to Labor Party. If Mm. Labor opposes this, this bill is dead, Mm. right? Absolutely dead. And all the signs from Labor, from what I reported last week, from the Senate hearings that have happened, etc., we're getting more and more um, strong, we're getting stronger and stronger feedback that Labor is very much inclined to oppose it. In fact, the most likely reason this bill has been delayed, if the Labor Party had a role in that, was so they have time to write a dissenting report. Mm. Right, and a dissenting report is we want nothing to do with this government policy. So that's, that's, that's possible. However, don't take any, th- any of that for granted. So yes, viewer, I'm going to ask you again, keep making calls. This is quite crucial. However, we've got three weeks now. There won't be a vote in parliament next week. I will be up in parliament next week and I'll be talking to as many members of parliament and senators about this. But because we've got three weeks, don't just call Labor Party. If the government's in disarray, let's start calling government senators w- as well, Liberal and National Party senators, right? So go onto our website, get the list of senators for your state and don't just think, oh, which is the Labor ones, call them all, right? Mm-hmm. And just keep calling. Let their phones start melting down as well mm-hmm. and you know, these, these ministers will at a certain point, we, we have a good chance here to get this actually pulled. Mm-hmm. That's, that's got to be that's our goal, sure. all right? So look, excellent work. Um, before we go to a break, I just want to emphasise, we've been reporting on this uh, all the breaking news in our weekly publication here, the Australian Alert Service. If you haven't yet, if you're a new viewer, haven't seen a copy of this yet, call in on our toll-free number to get yourself a free copy and you can see the kind of reporting that we do on this. Plus a lot of other things. It's not just on this issue, but this has been a very big campaign we've been on and this is one we really could win. So pat yourself on the back and when you take your hand off your back, grab the phone and make another call, right? That's how we're going to win this thing. So let's take a break and when we come back, we're going to talk about a stunning case that proves just how tyrannical this law is. Welcome back to the CEC report, where we're discussing how we've made the government flinch, but we're going to keep fighting this cash ban that enslaves us to the banks. And I want to elaborate more on that now because we've just put out, Jeremy and I work in the editorial department of the Citizens Party, and so we've just put out now a press release which is circulating. So if you get our press release, you can read the details in there, or you can read it in the alert service next week. But it's a story about debanking, banking, and this deserved this story deserved to be told because most people outside certain people who've experienced it and never heard of debanking banking before.
1: I hadn't heard of it until this year or last year, but uh, no, this is in the, from yeah. the Senate hearings. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. this came
0: yeah. out of the Senate hearings on the twelfth of December, the Small Business mm-hmm. Ombudsman, and. The Australian Taxpayers Alliance raised this thing called debanking, and they raised mm. in the context of the cash ban mm. because if the, the banks have the power to stop you being their customer, mm. right? And the cash ban is designed to force us all in the banks, but if the banks have this power to say, we're not going to do business with you, they can put you in a limbo, a commercial limbo, where you are locked out of the economy, right? Now, so I just want to read um, uh, how this came up, right? Um, and and it, was, it was Dr. Craig Latham, the small business... A Deputy Ombudsman basically he said we're coming across a number of situations where banks are actually removing people from their books we call it debanking not offering services and he went through some of the categories of businesses that that tend to have this happen to them news agents adult services and other industries he said tattoo parlors gun shops and the other one that came up later was vaping stores or you know like um, e-cigarettes now Senator Patrick, Rex Patrick, said, you know, are they doing this for social conscience reasons? You know, oh, is this the social conscience of the banks saying, oh, we think, we think um, our morals are offended by those types of businesses. I don't know what news agents are doing there. Our morals are... And of course, that is a joke. That's the reason Jeremy's laughing. These are the banks. The banks. Westpac, Westpac was just caught facilitating child exploitation in Asia... Mm. And they're going to make moral judgment on a tattoo parlor
1: charging dead people, numerous crimes, ripping. Yeah, of course.
0: Not to say I approve of tattoo parlors. If my Mm. daughter comes home with a tattoo, I'll be upset. (laughs) 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 But uh, that's not the point. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah, you you can see why they would, you know, uh, you know, pretend they can cast these moral judgments. But Mm. it's a bit rich coming from the banks. Um, Then Rex Patrick had this killer line. All right, it's got it's worth reporting. He says, in that respect. It would be quite legitimate for businesses to try to debank banks, because they have an awful track record, and the government is in effect forcing people to use these very entities that engage in abhorrent commercial conduct. And this is that that, that lines the key. This is for this bill is forcing people to use these entities, banks that engage in abhorrent commercial conduct. Um, and then the small business ombudsman, one, another one of their representatives, Alexandra. Horden, who's the director of advocacy, she said the, the real issue here is that requiring that business to do a deal with an entity that won't deal with them puts that business in an impossible position. And that's what I wanna tell you about with this, with this case. Um, so the case that we've, we've highlighted is not an adult store or a vaping store or a gun shop or a tattoo parlour. It's a absolutely upstanding business absolutely legitimate business. It's a bullion dealer, right? A person, he's based in Melbourne, he buys and sells gold and silver. Absolutely legal business, right? Um, and he, because he's a bullion dealer, he has to comply with the anti-money laundering disclosure rules, right? Like the banks do, except he does, unlike the banks, right? In fact, his this person's business has helped the police enforce the law, thanks to his disclosures, right? Combat crime, so it's, it's very upstanding. But the banks decided, starting five or six years ago, they don't like him. The first bank to debank him was Westpac. Westpac was the most courteous. They, they and why, by that he said they were polite. Um, they didn't they didn't want his business, right? But they made sure that he had an alternative bank account with another bank before they closed his accounts, right? And that was that's you know so he was. Oh, you know, he wasn't happy with the, with the experience at the time, but what happened to him since has made him more, you know, think, oh, at least Westpac was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this is another point. It's not just Westpac saying we're not going to do business with you. All its subsidiaries as well, Bank of Melbourne, et cetera, won't do business with this guy, mm-hmm. right? So they, they fully did banking from their entity. Um, and then he went on to the Commonwealth Bank. He said the Commonwealth Bank was absolutely the worst. He called it the most malicious and destructive. They started off by canceling his personal credit card when he was on an overseas holiday. Mm. so he had to cancel the holiday and come home, um, which you know took, and they knew he was on a holiday. Banks always know that sort of thing about you. Um, they debanked his parents, including his mother, who had nothing to do with the business. So because she was they knew he was his mother, you're debanked as well, um, shut down her accounts. His father had a corporate account and with a bunch of money in it, they told the um, Australian Financial Complaints Authority they wouldn't close his father's account, and then they went and closed it anyway, mm. right, with the money in it. So Commonwealth Bank fully debanked him. Um, and so that's, it's not just, you know, when, when it's one, you might think, well, they might have a certain reason. The second bank, all right, something's going on here. Then there was a third bank. NAB did exactly the same thing. They went through a lawyer to do it. Um, uh, but in this case, they weren't just happy with debanking his corporate accounts and his personal accounts, but it was his mother and father again, and this time it was also his employee. The person who worked mm. for him also got debanked without any notice, right? Um, and like I said, the, you know, the whole thing, all the subsidiaries, et cetera. Now, why would all the banks effectively, the major banks in Australia, debank this guy? He doesn't do anything illegal. There's nothing mm. morally questionable about his activities. There's one thing about him, though... That you understand why they don't like, Mm -hmm. which is that, not on a big scale, but on a small scale, he's actually a competitor to the banks.
1: They're obviously concerned what potential he has in
0: expanding his business and taking away their business. Well, and it's not so much taking away, that's what they're they're concerned Mm. about, and they'd Mm. put it in those terms. Mm. No, he's a refuge Mm. from their business. People in Australia are sick of bank corruption, mm. and they're also very worried about the things you and I highlight a lot. Jeremy is the guy who does keeps me up to He, does, he, he tracks the, the, the quarterly derivatives figures for the banks, right? We publish that, and people get worried. What are the banks up to? They're reckless financial activities. People lose confidence in them, and they, go and they, they take their money out of the bank, and they go put them in different areas, and some buy safes, um, just stash it in cash under the bed or whatever, and it's safe. Some people go put it in gold and silver. And the banks are tracking that sort of thing. They know that, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not happy. And that's the only reason to to do this sort of thing. Um, This person uh, thought he wanted to test a few aspects of this. He tried to go back to the Commonwealth Bank and start another account as a personal account, handed over his ID. (laughs) The the, the consultant went away, came back with the manager and said, sorry, we can't open an account for you and I have to ask you to leave. And he asked why. And they said, you know why. Uh-huh. Right? No, we're not going to bank with you. Um, then, because of the cash ban, he made it a he made a submission. Because for someone like him, the cash ban, when he heard about it, was incredibly alarming. Mm.
1: He could go to jail. He, I mean, he said he might as well be in jail. By their dictate, he's going
0: to have to operate his business as much yeah. on cash as possible. Yeah. And, you know, gold and silver can quickly get very valuable, right? Easily over $10,000. Um, and, okay... Uh, they can completely freeze him out, right? He can be put in commercial limbo. So he, he made a submission. Then he called the committee secretary, Mark Fitt, um, to explain his case. And Mr. Fitt had a He was trying to be helpful, though I don't think he's a very helpful person, but he was trying to be helpful, and he said to this man, this bull- bullion dealer, he said, oh, well, if this passes, you can still continue to biz- do business. Just, just go to the bank and use bank checks. Mm. You, you hand over a bit of money, and, you know, $10 or $15, and buy a bank check. So he went and checked, and he went back to Westpac. Can I get a bank check? And they put it in writing. No, that's a business. we're not going to do any business services with you. That's a business service. You're not even going to get a bank check, right? This is the power of banks. And he made the point to me that the banking system in Australia is a private oligarchy, right? All the other terms, an oligopoly, same thing. He said, quote, the oligarchy can ban you personally and ban your family members from banking with them. Essentially, you have no right to a bank account like most people assume. And if you think about this, and this is relevant for what we're going to talk about next, Jeremy, mm. Okay, the banks have decided they don't like building deals, and I understand, I've heard Bitcoin people as well have a bit of trouble with this, and you, so you see that the banks might think of them as competitors. Mm. But, there's, but there's, nothing, there's nothing legal to stop the banks from doing this. What if they decide they don't like, say, political parties mm-hmm. that spend all their time attacking the banks?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, right? Well, that's the thing. Uh, yep. They have a complete monopoly. You know, the big, four banks plus their subsidiaries, you have no choice, and yep. you could shut out anyone you like. Well, a-
0: and... and- and if they yeah, are already doing it now. And if you decide you're going to operate in cash, mm. the government's cutting off that avenue, right? This mm. is the tyranny yeah. that, that Australia is in, right, where we're, we're forced to become slaves to the banks. So there's a bigger political question here, which is why we're not just fighting the cash ban to save the money in your pocket. It's to save the, 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 uh, the, the functioning of democracy and our rights in a system. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss Julian Assange. Welcome back to The Citizen's Report. Finally, why won't the media report the human rights crime against Julian Assange? Now, Julian Assange should be an Australian hero. He's he's rotting in a prison in the UK for the, not because he's done anything wrong, because of the crimes, the war crimes he exposed. And can I say, the, the, the government yesterday announced that they're going to establish some kind of permanent commission into veteran suicides in Australia, which is a terrible epidemic, 400 in the last 20 years, maybe, just maybe, we should start thinking about the kind of theatres of war we expose them to where our side commit war crimes that they're supposed to tolerate, mm-hmm. right? This is You a, wonder why we have those suicides. I'd, you know, mm-hmm. We should be looking at every dimension of this. thats That's what I'm saying. But let's talk about this, Jeremy. There's a couple of cases that just happened where the media should have reported this, the very significant science developments and nothing happened. So the first one was the Council of Europe's parliamentary arm took a vote on 28th of January. What was significant about that?
1: This is the, uh, the European you know, politicians voting on this and yet just about every major media outlet just failed to report it. What did they vote I, for? I, what did they, they voted for? And, and this is a, a resolution, number 2317. The resolution said that the detention... And the criminal prosecution of Mr Julian Assange sets a dangerous precedent for journalists. And they said Assange's extradition to the United States must be barred and he must be promptly released. That is now, incredibly I, significant. That, that is a very strong statement. And. I did internet searches, I was, I was giving the media the, you know, the benefit of the doubt and I was searching under different words and different string searches and yeah, trying yeah. to find this, and this good publication, <laughs> this publication, that publication, ABC, Australia's ABC, zero, nothing, uh, SBS, nothing, uh, all the major commercial Australian media, nothing, uh, virtually all the media worldwide just didn't even report it. Uh, there was just a small handful. I know the, um, the Sputnik, Russia's Sputnik news, news did cover, and fairly, quite a good article. But virtually all the media, uh, New York Times and all the Washington Post and all the major media, uh, zero.
0: And it's not like it was a one-off because on the 22nd of January there was a Doctors for Assange event which also got very little coverage. What was that? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, there was a press conference uh, in Sydney uh, where they had even international speakers and, and these doctors are saying, look, uh, Julian Assange risks death in jail now. His health is so bad he's got to a shoulder problem, he's got teeth problems, his mental health problems. I mean, you would have mental health problems if you're in solitary and confinement for that long. He's, he's literally had years of psychological torture. And this is according to you know, a UN official, Niels Melzer, uh, that he's had psychological torture. And these doctors are saying he could die in jail. Uh, he needs urgent medical care. And I checked our media and they didn't report the Sydney press conference by these doctors. So um, because
0: time is short, people can read it in the details in what we've published here, but why should we be looking at this Five Eyes intelligence uh, alignment mm-hmm. for, the, for the reason the media doesn't cover this?
1: The Five Eyes intelligence uh, community is very important. It includes United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and all the intelligence agencies therein. Uh, so what, what you've got is these intelligence agencies are controlling top down on the media on what we see. And, yep. and they're just feeding the media non-stop with non-stop war propaganda.
0: And there's an example of this we're going to play.
1: Mm-hmm. Take a look at this. Uh, Udo Ulfkotter. He's a very prominent German journalist. He's just passed away recently. But he was from the, uh, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. And he's exposing how the intelligence agencies feed the, the journalist material and how they've been lying.
2: Well, I, I've been a journalist for about 25 years. And I was educated to lie, to betray, and uh, not to tell the truth to the public. But seeing right now, within the last months, how how far um, how how the German and American media tries to bring war to the people in Europe, to bring war to Russia, uh, this is a point of no return. And I I stand I'm going to stand up, and say. Um, it is not right what I have done in the past uh, to, to manipulate people, to make propaganda against Russia and it is not right what my colleagues do on, and have done in the past because they are bribed uh, to betray the people not only in Germany, all over Europe. I think it is uh, especially the case with British journalists because they have a much closer relationship. It is especially the case Uh, with Israelis, of course, with French journalists for a part. Not that big as with German or with uh, 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 um, British journalists. Uh, It is the case for Australian journalists, for for journalists from New Zealand, from Taiwan, from, well, there is is many countries, countries in the Arab world, like Jordan, for example, Uh, like Oman, the Sultanate of Oman. There is many countries where this happens, where you where you find people to um, to claim they are respected journalists, but if you look behind them, you'll find uh, they are puppets on a string of the central intelligence agency.
0: Jeremy, that's pretty stark. Yeah. And when he gave that interview, though, he knew already knew he was dying. Yeah.
1: Well, he had nothing to lose. He, he said, well, it's on my conscience. I, I can't live with it. Yep.
0: Yeah. No, very significant. This is a, a big issue. It covers all matters of things, civil liberties, the cash ban, etc. Our job is to expose it and fight it. So remember, this is a good news story today. Keep fighting. Keep making those phone calls. We are winning this fight. We can stop this terrible law.